All right. Good morning. He is risen. Amen. Well, we uh, we're going to begin first. If there's any guests this morning, thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Daniel. I am the lead pastor here at Emmanuel. Um, I have a just brief instruction for you. You have bulletins, hopefully. If you, if you don't have one, um, feel free to raise your hand if you would like one. There are two sticky notes inside of there, okay? And we'll have a slide, the only slide of the day right behind me. The idea is, um, if, if you are a Christian this morning and you have been walking with Christ, especially those who are members here, uh, this season at our church, we've been having uh, testimonies occurring most Sunday mornings. And we've been preaching about, uh, teaching about the kingdom of God as it enters our life and what happens. And so there's a little kind of formula here. If you'll see behind me, blank to blank, okay? There's two sticky notes per bulletin. And what I would have you do is there should be pencils. You have a pen, you know, just write blank to blank. And I want you to consider this for those who are Christians here this morning. Just like this flowering cross behind us, I want you to consider how to sum up the work of Jesus in your life, from death to life. Maybe, so for some of you, it's from addiction to freedom. It's from hate, it's to love, from brokenness to restoration. It can be really specific, it can be more broad, but try to think just what has the work of Christ through his spirit been in your life that has brought you from what death you may have been living into into the newness of life within knowing him. So try to think about how to sum that up. In the next 15 minutes or so, write that out. I'm going to call the ushers midway through the sermon to collect them, and we'll have something special. Don't put your name on it. This is anonymous stuff. And so as the elders collect it, or the ushers will collect it later, we'll have something special later on. Understood? We're good? Great. All right. As I said, this sermon series we've been in has been about the kingdom of God, especially as taught in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, one of Jesus' favorite phrases in the Gospels was, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has arrived. In the famous Sermon on the Mount, he says some interesting things in the Lord's Prayer. He said, he taught us to pray. So when you pray, pray these words, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The idea that we've been looking at is that God, by sending his son to earth, was accomplishing a preordained plan to begin the plan that he had set to reverse all that is wrong in this world. All the things that we know that is wrong with this world, that we, we know intuitively that should not be here. I'm going to name a few things Selfish anger, hate, injustice, corruption, poverty, illness. The list can go on and on, but of course, death itself. Nobody has sat in a funeral and felt like death belongs in our human story. It feels alien. It feels like something from the outside. It does not feel natural. But God had a plan to do something about these things in a very unexpected way. So the Bible teaches that God has his space, okay? We know that, generally speaking, as heaven. And we have our space, we can just call that earth. 
And I think that communicates those concepts. In God's space, if you look at the very end of our Bibles or read the scripture later, Revelation 21, we see in God's space that there is no such thing as hate or injustice or corruption or poverty or illness. There is no suffering nor mourning nor pain nor death in his space. That is how things should be. And in a way, deep down, I think we know, yeah, that is how things should be. And when Jesus showed up and he started saying things like, when you pray, pray that what's happening in heaven can be happening here on earth. He was in a way, throughout his ministry, bringing to this world just a little glimpse of heaven on earth, kind of like a movie trailer, or just a preview of what is happening up there. He was healing. He was feeding people. Uh, He was giving love and grace to prostitutes and sitting with corrupted local government workers that everyone hated for their injustice committed on the poor. And he was eating meals with them and offering forgiveness and offering grace. There were even stories of people who had died being brought back to life glimpses of how things are in heaven on earth. It doesn't take a moment. It does not take a moment to consider the brokenness of the world and know that it doesn't seem right. This, you know, we see homelessness. We see broken families. We see addiction, depression, betrayal, the loss of loved ones, and, and so forth. All of us, we all have experienced these things just by virtue of being alive. But if you were a disciple in these days and you saw and you heard, uh, you know, other words on the outskirts, like you were hearing and seeing the things that he was doing, surely you would have been hopeful. Like hope would have been stirring to think, is there really someone so powerful to reverse these things? Like is there somebody actually so powerful that can bring a reversal to all of this sickness and illness and, and sin? Can there be love and grace so great for the worst of us? Could there, in fact, be life even more powerful than death itself? And then, of course, the contradictory part of this story is that the one who was bringing these things, glimpses of these things on earth, he himself died. And he died the most brutal death possible in the ancient world. But as we've just been rehearsing already this morning, continually as the story goes, he didn't stay dead, but he reappeared back in life. Death to life. This is a story that fills the imagination in many ways, even culturally speaking. You can't really tell a story greater than this. My daughter loves the Harry Potter books, and the author of the Harry Potter books said, if you know the story of Jesus in the New Testament, you're going to know how these books end, because she had the gospel story in mind as she wrote her books. You have this idea in Star Wars. I know I'm a nerd, okay? I like Star Wars. Fellow nerds, unite, okay? Thank you. Darth Vader, the the evil man who betrayed the good Jedi Order at the very end of his life, what happens? He turns evil the evil man is 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 humbled and then he turns back which brings you the question is there grace available even for the worst of us 
Another nerdy moment, Lord of the Rings, right? The book series, I, I love always finding excuses to talk about. Just the idea of evil and all of its power being able to actually be destroyed. Seldom is there such a heroic story that Tolkien wrote just of little hobbits, this unlikely creature who at such a sake, a great sacrifice to himself, destroys this ring of power, restores Middle Earth to peace with a righteous king taking the throne, prosperity, peace and justice reigns and evil is gone, all is made right. And even as we hear these stories, our heart kind of beats just a little bit faster because we're like, I want that here. Like in my own life, in this world, like I want that here. We need that here. And there's something inside of us that stirs that says, yes, could, it, could that happen here one day? Like could that happen here on this earth? Nature itself is built into this. As spring, every year, we see green buds slowly appear on trees that appear to have died for a few months, right? And it once again reminds us of the hope that warmth is always coming after the gray freeze of winter, almost as if spring is like that glimpse of heaven into a dark and wintry world. The resurrection of Jesus was a glimpse of heaven in this dark and dreary world, that even today, that even right now, it is available to us. These stories, they shape us. Perhaps many of you have memories of reading or watching, you know, those movies or reading those books that I just mentioned. We love stories because we see ourselves in these stories that we read and that we watch. These heroic stories, they're, they're hopeful. Stories that often are up and against the ones in this world and even often up and against our own life stories. And what I am trying to present with you this morning is the gospel of Jesus that provides all of us with the opportunity to participate in a new story, to receive a new identity, to be given the keys of a new kingdom, to enter through the door of a new pathway, a clean slate, to get a do-over in this gospel package. There comes two things to find it. A death has to be experienced and new life that follows. Five minute warning, fill out those sticky notes. If you don't, you might ruin our Easter service. You don't wanna ruin Easter service. Five minute warning, remember maybe like two minutes. All right, good. When Jesus hung on the cross, he bore on his shoulders the curse that we've been talking, the curses we've been talking about, the curse of this world he bore himself. There are many ways we can describe what we mean by the curse of this world. I want to read this to you, though. This guy, he's a, he's a, he was a famous author, sadly, who, who has passed away since. His name was David Foster Wallace. Um, he gave a famous commencement speech. He himself, from what I understand, was an agnostic until the day that he died. But listen to his commencement speech at this prestigious university he was invited to give. That's what he says. Here is just one example of the total wrongness of something that I tend to be automatically sure of. Everything 
and my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe. The realest, most vivid, and most important person in existence. You're nodding because you, you know what he's saying, right? We rarely think about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it's socially repulsive. But it's pretty much the same for all of us. It is our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Think about it. There is no experience you have had that you are not the absolute center of. The world as you experience, it is there in front of you, behind you, to the left, to your right, on your TV, or on your monitor, and so forth. Other people's thoughts and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow, but your own are so immediate and so urgent and so real. If the ushers are here, Jim, can you start walking down the aisles? He's going to pick up your sticky notes at this time down the side of the aisles. Now, every single one of us, we hear that, what we just read, that paragraph, right? And we say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, he probably exaggerated some of that for, you know, dramatic fashion for purposes of a speech, but we know that it's true. We know that it's, that's natural inside of us. And by the way, if you have anything to write, no pressure, okay? If you're like, I don't know what to write, that's perfectly fine. There's no judgment, it's okay, okay? But if we want to be honest, whether it is at let's say the, the large level of government, say corporations, or even within institutions, or all the way down into our deep personal rhythms of our lives, if someone or even an entity led by people actually lives and acts out in their own self-interest before others, if they actually live out unrestrained that strange intuitive feeling that they themselves are indeed at the center of the universe, what do you find behind those institutions or those people? You find a trail of brokenness. Eventually things are exposed and injustice follows. What Christians call sin follows. Broken families follow. Broken relationships follow. And what if I told you that this way of living that we just described, even though it feels so natural to us, that it wasn't a part of the original design of humans. It wasn't part of God's original design when he created us. I have a bunch of kids, all right, and they were always trying to grab things that are created for some specific purpose and try to, let's say, creatively use them for an entirely different purpose. For example, we bought this, this wicker furniture that's in our, our basement, actually, and when they watch TV or hang out down there, they sit in the chairs, but sometimes they pretend that, say, the wicker chair is really a rocking chair, like a really extreme rocking chair, or it's a trampoline, I hear dads laughing, right? Because we all know this, this happens, right? I think it's a trampoline. I think it's a rocking chair and they're rocking. You, you just like, you hear and see the chair just falling apart as they're rocking on it back and forth because it wasn't made to be a rocking chair. This is how stuff breaks in the Nelms house all the time, every week. 
And no matter how many times I say it, the chair's on a rocking chair, we, they still do it. Adam and Eve, all the way back in Genesis 1, they try to live against the original design of God for humanity by, listen, by taking their own free will into their own hands and try to essentially pull it out from the sovereignty and goodness of God and his control in his world and say, I want it for my own. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. This is the story, the beginning of our Bibles. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God planted the tree I don't think it was magical fruit or anything, but it was representative of the design for human beings, a life of faith and trust that says there's things that belong to God, that he is good. The good and evil, the responsibility of those things is not belong, it does not belong to us. That is in God's hands. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? It is knowledge that would destroy us, that would kill us. And in faith, we were to live within these restrictions. It was a way to remind us that we were not God and that we could in faith, if we embraced it, we would find life and find flourishing. But what did we want? We wanted freedom. We were tempted into believing that we could be the absolute center of the universe and the one in control of our own universes. We're still plagued with this idea and it's wrought to nothing but death and destruction ever since in this world. And also as a curse, it brought death to the human race. Now the Garden of Eden was God's place. God was there, humanity was with God. But if you read Genesis three, after we took the fruit of that tree, we were exiled, we were kicked out. He gave us the boot. He said, you can no longer be in my presence. The entire story of the Bible then presents us with this history of how God was trying to usher humanity back within his arms. With the reality of sin, there was hurdles, but his ultimate plan was to reunite humanity back to himself. And like that wicker chair, in my plural, in my basement, they're all wobbly on the, verse of, on, the, uh, you know, on the verge of breaking due to its being used as a trampoline rather than a chair. Humanity itself, we have been stuck in misuse, apart from God's original design. We're walking around with our own loose bolts and worn out pieces, wobbly as we walked in this room, wondering, man, so much of my life just doesn't feel in place. So much of it feels out of place. Maybe some of you who walked in this room, you feel that, and that's why you're here today. And maybe you're asking yourself, is there some other story some other explanation of why I'm here? Is there some other explanation of why I have skin and bones and, and why things are so difficult and hard and why things seem so broken? Is there some other remedy out there that could restore our broken human story? And when we see Jesus in the Gospels performing healings, teaching about the kingdom of God, saying that in his kingdom love reigns, that truth 
is the light that shines in the darkness that God is available to us by faith. When our hearts find and receive God again, that forgiveness and grace is available. That Jesus, as he said in John 13, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. That heaven, almost as a flashlight, it starts shining into the dark crevices of our hearts. Like I'm traveling to Georgia tomorrow morning, 15 hours with six kids in the car, be praying for us. And when we get there, my parents live there, so where I'm from, and I'm going to see many places from my childhood. My mom's going to cook the meals that we ate when I was a kid and smell those familiar smells. I'll go by the creek that I grew up in, or my parents' backyard, and see my kids splash around in the all-familiar ways that I did as well. And when you become a Jesus follower, when you rediscover what it means to be human by receiving his life, and you learn to start navigating by the help of the Holy Spirit the kind of life that he asks us to live, you'll be smelling what smells like familiar smells. You'll be walking around in places like, this feels at home, actually. This feels strange, but it's almost like I was meant to be here. It's almost like I was designed to be here. But to find this new life, as you said a minute ago, it begins by losing your life. Romans 6, 9 through 11. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Once you hear these words, like Paul's, soak it up, okay? Jesus told his disciples, been reading this verse every day for I don't know how long now, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and let him follow me. Verse 25, for whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Yes, Jesus, he, he died for our sins, but also his death, in a way, is given to us as our death. Let me say it one more time. Jesus died for our sins, but also his death is given to us as our death. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we first meet Jesus the idea is saying, I'm, I'm yours. Like the person that I was, it's died. Like when I see the cross and think of your death, I need to die. I need to die to myself. Die to all of those things that says, yes, the most important part of, in their, your life is you. I'm dead to that. God, I need you. You must lose your life to find it. John 12, 24 through 25. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
This Easter morning, so many thousands of years ago, Jesus conquered death. And he broke out of that grave to provide us with the hope of new life. It was a down payment of sorts for an entirely different age that is coming into this world. Jesus rose in an imperishable body, in an imperishable form of our human existence. His body was a real physical body that you could touch that walked out of that grave. It is God's plan one day to return his son back to earth and bring heaven with him to forever and ever rid this world of all brokenness and all of its death and all of its crying and all of its tears and all of its injustice and poverty and despair. It's all going to go away. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, John get a vision of this. He says, I saw a new heaven. I saw a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth is gone. It passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. The former things, they have passed away. But as we await that glorious day, friends, however, today you can join Christ in this new resurrected life. That you and I can also participate in this new life of God today, this new life of Christ. It can be given and ushered and just, just lavished on you even today, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You understand like, like Christ rose from the dead and, and if you know him, then you also rise from your death. Like you're, you're a new person when you meet him. The Holy Spirit, it changes your heart and his resurrection becomes your resurrection. Set your minds in on the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth, all the things we mentioned before. For your life, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Who in Christ is who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. Here's this poster board. I'm gonna move it closer so I can read it. This is full I know you guys can't read that, but that's okay. I'm going to read some of this to you here in a minute. Many of, this, of you in this room have experienced what I'm talking about. And as I prayed about how to close this sermon, I thought, what a better way than to read these. Right, so, so we can hear in this room, like, how has the resurrection impacted you? And how does it fill and permeate this room? Let's hear some of this. Rejection to acceptance. Life to everlasting life. No trust to trust. Brokenness to resurrection. Independent to dependent. I love that. From responsibility to understanding. From 1997 to present. That's great. Rebellion to obedience and submission. Fear and doubt to trust and believe. Sadness to joy. From weakness to strength. Sin to freedom. Despair to hope. From powerless to powerful. Uh, from uh, darkness into light. Just believing to, uh, just, uh, just believing to being a believer. Burden to liberty. 
and on and on these stories goes. These are testimonies of the resurrection in this room. And I want you guys to hear it, to, to hear the active work of God that's taking place for many in this room. And as we close, if we just read, so ever many of those brief stories, I want to say, friends, this is still available in this room. If you have been a Christian for a while, in your whole life, you just feel like I need to redo and a restart. Like I hear some of those things and I see all those sticky notes. I want, I, I need a restart. Like I need to be on that board right now. I need a redo. You can receive it this morning. His grace is bottomless. And he by his spirit is always willing to renew you even now. If you're here, you cannot say that you have received this new life. The door is opened even now to receive it. You can lose your life this morning by simply looking to Jesus, desiring mercy and grace for your sins and wanting with, to, to love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul and strength. And even he can give you this morning his Holy Spirit as a seal for the new life that he desires to give you. I'll call the worship team up this morning. We have one more final song. As we sing this final song, whoo, I'm sweating. Anybody else sweating? Is it just me? I'm sweating. As we have one more final song this morning, we will sing and we will rejoice. We will sing of his resurrection and we will rejoice. The word we are singing comes straight from Scripture in this song, straight from the book of Revelation, when he received a glimpse of heaven. When the Lamb who was slain was standing like the one who was slain was upright standing in his resurrected life and the angels saw him and saw all of his glory and everybody kept falling down and just screaming out and singing out holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy is his name. Holy is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Friends, he is here this morning. And I pray as we sing this song that we have an encounter for him. Lord, I, I, I wanted to invite any forward to, if you're here and there's something stirring, if you need to come forward and just kneel and pray. If you need to come forward and just even lie prostrate or just receive prayer, just even in your seats, just to begin praying and crying out to God. Wherever you are on your faith journey, I pray that right now you can see Jesus and his resurrected life for who he is. And you can, you can just anticipate his love to come on you in a fresh way that says, I am so with you. I am alive. I can no longer die. You are a part of my family. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So guys, if we could please stand to our feet and let's sing. If you need to come forward to receive prayer, we'll have many people available to pray with you. Submit yourself to him this morning. Jesus, meet us in these last few moments, Lord. I pray in my feeble attempt to present just this gospel, this good news of your life and your death and your resurrection. Lord, that your Holy Spirit, for somebody here just standing right now, that, that there's this voice that they're just trying to stuff down and not pay attention to, that is calling them to you. I pray those walls will be broken down of resistance this morning. That walls of resistance will just come crumbling down in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your wonderful, good, and holy name. Amen.
Oh 
Thank you. 